Hello and welcome. This time, for what's nominally our Christmas episode, we managed to find a film where one of the cast members' stage names literally means the Virgin Mary, and a stranger who has travelled far is at one point asleep in the hay. It's a garage, not a stable, but beggars can't be choosers. A wise man named John Deere, and me, Dave Thomas, who's more of a little donkey, look in our stocking, and what do we find? It's one Antonio Bardem's 1973 film, The Corruption of Chris Miller, aka La Corrupción de Chris Miller. Christmas Miller? I'll stop now. Please join us. Corruption of Chris Miller. Two women who hate each other join together to protect themselves from a mad killer. He's in the library. He can't have locked all the windows. There must be some way out. But he'll see us, Chris. There's one chance. I want you to go down. Me? You must bring him up here. But I can't. You know, Ruth, I can't. You have to. I wouldn't ask you to if there were any other way. While he's here with you, maybe I can find help, get a way to escape. I knew it. You've always wanted to destroy me. Destroy me to get back at my father. He's insane. He'll kill both of us. Do you want to die? Yes, yes, yes! This time, hopefully you know the drill by now, we'll be spoiling the heck out of the two fairly significant twists at the end of the movie and content warning for sexual violence, rape gendered violence, PTSD, and the killing of a child. The Corruption of Chris Miller. Uh, It's Spanish. Yes. Um, Is this a deliberate uh, choice of, meanwhile, what fascist Spain is doing uh, for its its horror films? Um, A little bit. So there is that, that there is a tradition obviously of spanish horror and there's mm-hmm. a little bit of a tradition of spanish jello and we did the um poor Nashi film uh some while back uh was it i think blue eyes of the broken doll we did indeed we? yes um and there are you know there are a few that that he did but this one and it, it is it is spanish i think it fits the the overall description of a jello although it's almost like two jellos fighting uh in a way in places one of them the very kind of mis- mystery sort of psychological thrillery jello and one of them the guy with a meat hook uh slaughtering people jello um and the reason why I, I threw it in so i i only discovered this and it's relatively obscure it got a blu-ray okay, release huh. a, a few years ago and that seemed to be about the first time that most people outside spain had had run across it um so i kind of threw it in without expecting much and really really liked it and and not only kind of was impressed with it, but also it was impressed with the craft and sort of level of artistry within it. Um, because a lot of jellos that I really like are trashy as hell and not particularly well directed. As we've, we've talked about some of them. I don't think this is one of those. I think this is no. actually really well put together. It's also really weird in that it's got, you know, the sort of Claude Chabrol art house darling, a Spanish child star and that bloke who played the transvestite werewolf in norman j warren's prey so it's just a really oddball film but a really fascinating one so i just kind of threw it in there because i like it it is a it is a it is a curious mix uh barry stokes the uh the guy from 
from from prey yeah probably best known for 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 that i know him for things like um survivors and um doom watch later appears in sort of various small roles he doesn't really get sort of his career his career peaks quite early and then it it sort of goes down into sort of um first victim and um one-liners but i didn't expect to see yeah i didn't expect to see someone who i'd considered sort of a a a 70s character actor um Mm. playing sort of the the heartthrob izzy the murderer character Mm. um so that was yeah so but but so very british um and the lead character uh ruth is uh gene seberg yeah yeah so it's you know that's you know a fairly notable notable probably you know american um Hmm. yeah best known for things like breathless and you know saint joan um and turning up and turning up in this um Hmm. given we're at the tail end of i mean i know it's i i I was slightly facetious when i said fascist spain we're the tail end of franco's regime um Hmm. so uh you know the plans are being made for what will happen after 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 Franco goes? But you do notice that there, you know, there aren't as many tits in this, are there? No, uh, I, I I wondered for years if this was one of those Spanish productions where the, there was another version, because um, as with many of the the Nashi films and and uh, other movies of of the same era, they would shoot the nudity bits and put those in the export cut, and right, then yeah. the the clothed takes would be in the spanish version and i kind of pondered you know because there is a lot of um let's just say there's a lot of gratuitous brawlessness they are um, v- both both ruth and um chris both really bad i think i texted you while watching it and going there's a there's a severe the lack of bras in this film mm. that's um so, so i did wonder that but then kind of considering who the the actors are and the director is sort of not noted as an exploitation director i actually kind of think probably there isn't i think this is no. as, as far as they went with the uh with with the exploitational elements is kind of marisol riding a bike without a bra on through a forest so yeah it's, um which, which you know is diverting in, in its own way i don't think it loses much though without being no. too without being too much of a prude um, no, a massive misogynist, not a misogynist. I don't think yes. it really misses it. it really, really misses that as well. Indeed, there's a lot more sort of male flesh on show uh, than mm. uh, than um, Barry seems to get his top off at every. And who sleeps naked in a in a field of straw? That's gonna that's that's gonna that's gonna smart. Uh, yeah, you're gonna end up with straw where straw should not be. Indeed, yeah. That, I'd, I'd I'd have I'd have left my trousers on if I was staying overnight in a in a in a, in a straw in a straw <laughs> a barn with straw in it. Uh, shall we do a quick rundown of the plot? Yes. Um, so it's a, it's sort of like yeah it's a as you say it's sort of two films jagged onto one but it does pay off I think mm. uh, and where you think it's going to go I mean okay the um, the twist isn't amazing but it's not unintelligent and it's you know it's uh, and it everything works well and the the little Chekhov's guns pay off uh, so mm. it's a film that, that likes its detail and, and is consistent and um, uh, with, with that anyway um, I assume we're in Spain quite a lot of when we see the ha- yes. when we see the house of where um, Ruth and Chris Chris live uh, Chris is a woman by the way Christine um, that mm. looks really really English um, yeah but for whatever we are, I mean, sometimes we look like we're in Spain, and sometimes something don't. Anyway, we are in Spain. Mm. Uh, we open with um, it's raining. Uh, there's a mansion. We spend quite a lot of time panning across uh, the rain-soaked lawn of the mansion and the and the chained-up dog. 
um, to then focus on a on a woman. Uh, I mean, having said this, isn't too sexist. A woman lying naked in bed. She is. She is um, facing downwards uh, though, mm. and she wakes up to realise that her companion, uh, who is notable by his absence, she goes downstairs to find him. Uh, eventually does, and there is a younger man dressed as Charlie Chaplin. Um, <laughs> yes, she. For reasons that do become clear um, later later on, she then says, yeah, my husband's going to be back soon. Here's some money. Go on, get out, you drifter. Uh, mm. And he he doesn't. He he um, stabs her several times uh, and then makes a fairly ham-fisted attempt uh, at, rob- at robbing the place. Uh, and there's mm. a lot. I mean, there's a few forensic work isn't, isn't great, but, you know, it's a fair, you know, there's, there's quite a lot of, like, like his DNA, lift, although it's 1973, I suppose, it's also that necessarily mattered. Anyway, uh, he murders her, robs the place of, you know, cash, and he doesn't, doesn't, doesn't ransack it, and then mm. runs into the, into the rain and away to who knows where. Um, and then a very similar-looking young man arrives in a town uh, nearby, and the implication certainly is that they are the same person. Maybe you haven't seen this person's face because he's got a Charlie Chaplin mask on. It's like a it's like a silent version of of Halloween so far. We've got his. <laughs> you couldn't get William Shatner. We've got Charlie Chaplin. Did they ever thought that if John Carpenter wanted to use the Charlie Chaplin mask as a as an ongoing thing, and I would now now hope that because they're not a series of films where. Where men don Charlie Chaplin masks and and stab and stab women, but there's the yeah, there's a there's something that untouched. Uh, I think there that I could that I could try and rob the IP for next time they reboot Halloween. Maybe we could do it in a, char- in, a, in a Charlie Chaplin one. Anyway, uh, a, a sort of a, a, a young drifter, not dissimilar to 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 in in stature and appearance to the to the faceless killer, arrives uh, in a town and um, stays uh, in a barn. Uh, to get out of the rain, and because he has nowhere to sleep uh, for the for for the night, and the barn belongs to Ruth, uh, who lives there uh, with her stepdaughter Chris Miller, Christine Miller. Now, mm. Ruth's husband has buggered off fairly recently, uh, mm. and that's Christine's dad, and she's waiting for him to come back. And Ruth's saying he's not going to come back. He's not, but he will come back. He will come back. Um, because Christine has had a nervous breakdown and only recently been uh, released from an institution after being raped at school. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they find uh, it's called Barney, isn't it? Uh, they find Barney in the in the barn. Ruth is like, you know, I want to fuck off, uh, and but he sort of like he's a bit cocky and very obviously English. He's everyone else seems to be Spanish so far, but he's very obviously a traveller. And he says, "No, I think I'll, I'll stick around." And she makes him breakfast and makes him coffee. Uh, and then eventually he stays on as a as a handyman, and you're thinking, oh god, killer. Well, go on. She 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 makes him breakfast, and then they have sex. Oh, do they have sex then? It's, yeah, it's okay, it's yeah. fairly heavily implied. But then uh, Ruth is is very keen that he's not then around when uh, Chris comes back. She um, there's a there's a local person who has a stable, a sort of fairly rundown stable, and she goes and rides the horses at the stable. So it, the, the the bargain is that you know that they have sex. Uh, he goes before Chris comes back. Of course, he does not go before Chris comes back, uh, and and when he sees Chris return um, in the form of uh, former Spanish 
child star Marisol. Um, he decides that he's very much determined to hang around because he'd rather have the stepdaughter than the, the stepmother. Well, yes. Anyway, so Barney tries to um, seduce Chris while keeping his hand in. I wish I'd found another way of phrasing that. Um, with <laughs> with um, with Ruth. Um, uh, we learn that uh, Chris um, is often triggered by running water, be it a you know storm or or, or, or similar, which uh, is a trigger for when she was raped because she was raped in the school showers. There's an interesting scene in the in a, in, a, in, a, in a basement where she goes into like an incoherent state and she becomes sort of uh, nonsensical and starts lashing out, lashing out with a knife, mm. um, which could be convenient if you ever want to get rid of um, uh, some, some some someone. And it's implied that while trying to get rid of Barney, Ruth is torturing uh, Chris and setting and setting her off, possibly to you know either get her out of the way or to you know to get to get Barney out of the way. Um, and while he's staying there, they they go into town together. They meet people in and around the village. They meet in nearby you know they be um, uh, the farming family and say hi. They go to the cinema um, and watch uh, the woman we saw murdered at the beginning in films, and we learn that she's a. We learn that she's an old, the classic film star, and mm. Chris. There's nothing from Chris there. There's nothing uh, as he reacts, and we see her crucially play Charlie Chaplin in that same mm-hmm. in that same mask. So that's what that's what he was doing. Uh, eventually, Ruth gets fed up uh, with Barney. He um, thinks she's dangerous. It's dangerous for him to be around to be around Chris. He blames her for sort of setting off her her, her fits, and similar to the the rain comes again. And he's uh, he's forced out of the house at, 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 at gunpoint by uh, by Ruth, and he throws things at the window and and lashes off there. Anyway, the nearby the the nearby farm, which we've seen the family, uh, is um, a man arrives there dressed in like a like you know a, you know, a rain a rain mac, uh, looking very very sinister. But a young child thinks he's a he's a monk because he has a hood. And the young child had seen a monk earlier and got the sort of got the sort of shape. So he lets the person in, and the person then stole a sickle from the barn and kills the husband, the wife, the three kids, including the little, the little boy who's just women as well. And then, and then you know the police obviously will be the police are called in. Um, police say they're rounding up all the young drifters in the in the, in the area, and you sort of learn that this is you know there's the, these these killings have been going on a, a, a little while, which then makes you question probably Ruth should have been a bit a bit of not having Barney in the house at fucking all, um, <laughs> but nevertheless they uh, they hear it on the news and and Chris and Ruth both think oh it's fucking Barney isn't it, and then the next night Barney breaks into breaks into their home. Uh, Chris goes to to in, to to investigate, finds finds Barney, and as you do, has sex with him. Um, <laughs> uh, but well, she's kind of she's kind of tasked with doing that by Ruth as a, a yeah, true, the, yeah. The, the only way we'll get out true, of here is yeah. if you distract him yeah. with sex. Um, and he seems genuinely concerned for for Chris's safety with Ruth. It did, yeah. And kind of and, and kind of compels her to leave with him. Yeah. Uh, but he's he's also looking for something, which is quite key. Yeah, I was, I was going to I was going to reveal that as more of a surprise as to the reason he's come back. Ah, ah. sorry, carry on. Yeah. I led it around that. <laughs> Um, but anyway, uh, in during the mid-coitus, um, Chris uh, goes into another uh, flashback and a rage, which rather undercuts um, 
uh, Barney's uh, assertion that that's a very impressive orgasm he's just given. Uh, he's just given her. Uh, and um, Ruth then runs in uh, and then stabs Chris and then, then uh, Chris recovers and joins in stabbing Chris and eventually Chris falls... Barney. Barney, sorry. Barney falls down the stairs and eventually eventually dies from his uh, from his wounds. And they go, right, don't... Like, we'll say it was self-defence because he's clearly the murderer of the family in, in, in the barn. Uh, and then they're going to go to the police station, and then they find out the killer of the <clears throat> family in in in, in the, on the farm has just been caught, and they're like, "Oh shit!" Okay, <laughs> they have to bury him. Um, but they go through they go about and they go through his belongings, and they find that he's uh, fairly recently come out of prison, which he which he hadn't said, and that Chris, crucially he knew Chris's father and and uh, Ruth's Ruth's husband, and it's. Uh, revealed that he was basically casing casing the joint for you know cachet of, of of valuables that they they had there that was hidden on the uh, I think it was hidden on, on the, the grandfather clock uh, was wasn't it so they um, they still have this you know the, the dad really didn't love you at all uh, uh, Chris so they bury uh, Barney's corpse at a at a construction site uh, and then it's you know and then it's paved in and all's well. And then they mm. and then they just go off and have fun. Uh, we don't know how long later, but we see them by a by a swimming pool. Uh, but um, there's a bit of a sinkhole uh, in the suggesting the weakness in the structure of where where he's been buried, and um, a pea plant starts starts growing out, and it's it's been subtly, very subtly uh, introduced um, that that Barney sort of eats like sugar snap peas. Uh, hmm. and, and, and things and had had some peas in his pocket uh, and these pocket these have clearly grown even though he's died and they've alerted the the, uh, the construction workers that something's under there and then we the last thing we see is um, the road being dug up where they will inevitably find Barney's body hmm. and that's um, yeah I think that's if I missed anything out. No, I think that, oh, that covered it off. Oh, nice. sorry. Carry yeah, sorry, well, I just, they have got. Sorry, they didn't say who the killer was. They do get the killer, but the killer is the is the guy who ran the stables that um, uh, that Chris um, sometimes visits, isn't it? Mm, yes, because yeah. these stables are in such a, a dilapidated state that he's killing to look after his horses, yes. and clearly is is not at all well. Yeah, indeed. Uh, and yes, it, as you say, it's uh, it becomes open will. It is a bit totally, totally uneven, uh, and the mm. middle section with just uh, with just Barney, Chris, and and Ruth in the house, uh, things do sort of uh, take a bit of a lull in terms of uh, it's not what you expect from the sort of um, uh, in your face regular every couple of minutes mm. something's got to be happening um, nature of a of a, of a jello plot, but it, mm. it holds together. Um, mm. Really, really well. Uh, everything plays out. The only thing I, I would say, they probably wanted to seed in a bit more of the. There's a killer about, and he's a, and he's a young bloke. Probably want to be mm. a bit careful. That is doesn't really come across until quite late. Um, we don't see enough of the actual killer to really get an idea of him. And mm. I'd like to have a couple more scenes uh, with him, uh, just so you could start to think. Ah, and also the. Um, the cachet of pearls or whatever it is is quite a is, is almost seamlessly introduced at the last at the last minute. I'm not. Mm. I, I mean, maybe I missed it. But we never see him sort of looking for stuff. He does a little oh, does bit he, okay, when he kind of first gets there. He's sort of going through the the drawers and things, and there's a, a oh, room yes. that's no, sort no, of very enough, noticeably yeah. locked. Yeah, uh, that's fair enough. Yeah, I missed that. Okay, yeah. 
But I, I do like the introduction both of, of uh, Chekhov's peas and Chekhov's roadworks. Yes. Um, early on. <laughs> because the, the roadworks, he actually, they actually sort of introduced quite, sort of really right at the beginning because um, there's, there's quite a lovely bit of montage where, so after the uh, killing of uh, the initial woman by guy in Charlie Chaplin mask and she says to him, you know, you, there's a train leaving shortly, you know, be on it. Um, so then you actually pick up the train and the train kind of yeah. is coming through the Spanish countryside and then it crosses a uh, level crossing where the, the the local postie is on his bike. So it sort of hands off to the postie who then goes to uh, Ruth and Chris's house, which then kind of introduces them and, and the, the plot, the, the sort of the main plot, which is that Chris is kind of spying on Ruth to see if she, you know, she's withholding mail from her father because, you know, at this point she's still uh, fixated on, you know, he's writing to me and you're keeping me from him. And um, and they generally have... It's interesting how it's set up because it, it, initially it's sort of Chris is, Chris is clearly mentally ill and, and, and angry at Ruth for what she deems her, sort of keeping her from her father. And Ruth seems quite benign and is sort of slightly long-sufferingly looking after this sort of child, but, you know, sort of a, a, a late adolescent to early 20s younger woman. But then in, when the sort of the first night in with that plot and the rain starts and then they kind of start to slowly tease out this um, sort of, sexual violence that that chris has endured and how she's triggered by the rain um the lights start going in and out and it, it then basically turns out that ruth is doing it on purpose because um she's effectively as revenge against her now de departed you know sort of philandering husband is trying to destroy chris and that is in, that is in fact the corruption of Chris Miller of the title. She even says at some point, I was trying to corrupt you to get back at your father mm. um, at the end when they've been forced to kind of work together. So I, I like that. I like the, the way that sort of no one, no one is really quite what they seem with pos the possible exception of Chris. But then at the end of the film, Chris sort of turns out to be the, the more, um, resilient of, of the two women and is actually talking about leaving and Ruth is Ruth is then distraught that she she's going to be the one that's left alone um, but then because they end up killing someone you know the, killing Barney who is not actually the killer uh, although that's a little bit ambiguous because you never you never see who the initial killer is so it might have been Barney because he's not you know going around with a, a scythe and attacking families so anyway but yeah it's just a, a thought but um but yeah I, I i like how the sh the characters kind of shift uh throughout throughout the film mm. the director is uh obviously he's he's spanish and is called juan antonio bardem correct is he any relation to javier bardem He's his uncle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it, it, it's silly to infer these things, but you kind of think, well, you know, maybe that you would expect a slightly better level of, of quality. But, you know, that that's really quite nonsensical yeah. because obviously why, why would Javier Bardem's retros, retrospective success as an actor, you know, in infer any level of uh, of skill in his in his uncle. I mean, it's certainly his only kind of murder mystery, as far as I know. Um, 
nothing else he did seems to have really had any export value. He did a film. Well, actually, that's, that's not strictly true. He did a couple of films. So the, the, there's something called um, Death of a Cyclist, which is a sort of Spanish neo-realist neo film where uh, a couple run over a cyclist and then it sort of affects them in different ways. Now, I have to admit, I haven't seen it. Um, but I believe that is quite sort of celebrated in, in proper cineast circles, not like me. Uh, and and he also worked on uh, and, and sort of ended up kind of uncredited directing some of a film called The Bell from Hell, which is another Spanish horror uh, immediately after this, which again is sort of quite well regarded. Um, but but everything else seems to have been Spanish audiences only. He's an interesting character. He 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 was a communist, um, which it, it actually kind of is surprising. He had a career at all, mm. but it does seem to have have, have limited his career. Um, he doesn't, you know, he appears to have outlasted. Uh, well, he did he did outlast Franco, so perhaps he didn't do anything too upsetting. But supposedly he, uh, when he was studying film. Uh, in his in his early career, he he never actually graduated because he was prevented from doing so by his com you know because of his communist association. Um, but he's he's certainly that there's a lot of really nice directorial touches in this that that you know tends to suggest on the strength of this one film that that he he knew what he was doing. But so have you actually seen any of his other films? Um, I have got the Bell from Hell, but I haven't watched it. <laughs> Don't say ever ever say to me again. I've got the bell from hell because it, 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 <laughs> it sounds like you might be aroused or something. Stand there. <laughs> That's terrifying. I'm just sitting funny. Oh god. Um, okay, so what's with then the um, the not hugely um, multinational uh, cast, but uh, you know we've got we've got a we've got a British character actor, we've got an uh, uh, an American actor who's a bit of an American actor that's known for for for, for, for European work. Uh, were they cast with a with an eye to sort of the international market for this for this film? I can only assume so. I mean, certainly because it's shot in English, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Marisol is is dubbed. But she's speaking her lines in English, so she's kind of post-synced afterwards, presumably because her accent would have been much more Spanish. Um, but Jean Seberg and, and Barry Stokes, uh, I mean, I assume they're kind of post-synced, but it does sound like them. So it does appear, you know, it, it was it was intended for an international market. It didn't really do any business internationally. Um, it, it seems to have done okay in Spain. Uh, so it... it didn't make a huge amount but the the you know, and again trying to find box office figures on this stuff is is a bit of a fool's errand but um so there's a, there's a the mo the most celebrated uh spanish film of 1973 according to uh the imdb so take with a pinch of salt um was was a film called spirit of the beehive which i believe is more of a uh, again i haven't seen it because it's what a do you mean a film called spirit of the beehive you mean Spirit of the Beehive? I know that. I've heard of Spirit of the Beehive. Okay. Yeah, I'm dealing with a classy guy here. Yeah, but I am a total pleb, so don't don't forget. Some of the business, so. of the BFI in January. <laughs> is it? Yes. Oh, is it? It's not part of the um of the Mark Jenkins yeah, season, it is, is it? Yeah, yeah. Is it really? Yeah, it really is. Good lord. Yeah. It's not. It's actually it's not part of the. No, it's not part of the um, uh, Mark Jenkins season. It's um. The, you know they're doing the hundred best films as that massively pretentious shite list of uh, of wanky films. Uh, mm. They're starting that from January, and that's in the that's in the top one hundred. 
So they're showing a script. Oh, well, there you go. Well, it did better than the, the Spanish box office. Wow. If, if okay, yeah, fair enough. IMD Pro figures are to be believed. So, so yeah, it, so it clearly did all right. It did nothing internationally, as far as I can tell. Um, so in, in the UK, it came out uh, under the title Sisters of Corruption. Uh, they're not sisters. No. <laughs> are they going for a sort uh, of Daughters of Darkness thing? I, I guess yeah. they probably were. Yeah. Um, and then... In the US, it came out. It didn't come out till seventy six, um, and then it came out under the title "Behind the Shutters," uh, and then it was re released in seventy nine under its original English title after Gene Seberg's suicide, uh, which seems to have been the only time it got kind of picked up by any sort of critical notice. Then Vincent Canby slagged it off in the New York Times, but nothing particularly unusual there um so yeah it, it that, that's the thing it, it seems to have kind of lapsed into obscurity which is why when, when i sort of happened across it from from vinegar syndrome's blu-ray release i was like i you know this is this is really good i don't really like this film um and watching it again i i think the thing that stuck out to me the the first time is that the um again that opening with the train and then the the bicycle mm. um and then the ending with the uh revelatory murder piece and I'd, I'd sort of forgotten some of the bit in the middle, but I think it, I, I watching it again, I thought it, I thought it held up very well. Uh, I think everyone in it is is really pretty good. Um, Jean Seberg didn't say much about it. I, I think in her sort of autobiography, she sort of mentioned something about how she it was quite lowbrow and and exploitative for her, and she didn't particularly enjoy working on it. And that's about as far as her uh, her her comments on it seem to go and that seems to be true of pretty much everyone <laughs> um but uh, and obviously you know i mean the, her her particularly infamous sort of life story and background mm. and uh is probably fairly well known um so i i shan't delve into it too much but um but yeah it's such a, it's a, again it's just that odd mix you know that marisol was a was a musical child star in spain right yeah i was gonna ask about her and, and it yeah and it's sort of so I I don't know for sure, but one would would think like was this an attempt to kind of shake off her child star image because you know she because Marisol even is not her real name. Um, she was born Josefa Flores Gonzalez, um, and Marisol is basically uh, so it's a Spanish name that's a shortened version of Maria de la Soledad, which is Mary of the Solitude, which is a Spanish name given to the Virgin Mary. So, so her persona was essentially like a a virginal child star, and she was in a bunch of musicals. You know, she performed for Franco, um, probably on Pain of Pain. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, she was primarily known as this sort of young musical comedy star, and in this, she's playing something much more kind of spiky and edgy, and obviously, you know, through, with through a variety of diaphanous t-shirts so it, it's it's quite a shift from the stuff that she's mostly known so for, it's known singing for. charles so it's sort of like bonnie langford does a lars von trier film not a million miles from okay. that yeah and, and i kind of do and don't want to see that now come on that would be amazing <laughs> no it wouldn't that would be that would be that the trauma you would get from bonnie langford doing a doing a lars von trier film would be Bonnie, Bonnie Langford in the uh... no 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 we can't just look. Anti, an, Antichrist I don't know yeah, Bonnie Langford in Antichrist, Antichrist. <laughs> not going to mention what what uh, Charlotte <coughs> does in that no why are we talking about this sorry sorry uh, yeah and then and then of course as, as you said Bar- Barry Stokes from 
UFO and Doomwatch. One of one of the existing episodes of Doomwatch. Uh, if if anyone wants to go and seek it out, he's in a season two episode that does survive the the unfortunate wiping of a lot of that series. Is he? In, is that the one where the there's like a uh, people coming back from like a um, an isolated colony somewhere, and they've all got something wrong with them. Is that that was that the one he's in? Oh, sorry, no, he was in Pricky of My Thumbs. That's the one about uh, the sort of cro- the ex- extra chromosome. Um, mm, that's it. Yeah, 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 that's the uh, it, written by Robin Chapman, um, who uh, most well the most timely thing I can mention. He adapts Lost Hearts for for Ghost Stories for Christmas. Mm. Um, mm. And if you don't know Doomwatch, Doomwatch is um, uh, an early seventies. Um, science fiction series uh, by Cybermen creators Jerry Davis and, and, and Kit Peddler about mm. a um, scientific, British scientific troubleshooting team that works, you know, that works for the work, works works for the government, uh, mm. he- headed by a, a silver-haired and slightly pompous scientist uh, f- that ran um, from 1970. Curiously, also in 1970, Doctor Who changed its format to become about scientific troubleshooters working for the for the government and mm. headed by a slightly pompous silver-haired man uh both <laughs> series have the dangers of plastic as their first episode in 1970 and at the same point in later on in 1970 both have stories about uh astronauts returning from mars and f- being fucked up uh, it's a curious, <laughs> curious thing. There were literally two series that were running almost parallel. Um, mm. Running anyway, but that's that's Doomwatch is a um, an interesting series, but sadly a lot of its a lot of its missing. It was made into um, um, Peter Sasty uh, of Stone Tape mm. Stone Tape made into um, a feature film in 1972, released by um, Yeah T- Tigon, isn't it? Or Tigon, sorry. It, 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 yeah, it's a Tigon film. It's, it's a fascinating one that because oh, no, totally off topic, but um, because the the movie version basically the 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 cast of the show <laughs> pop up a couple of times. In uh, in sort of supporting, like they basically get phone calls yeah. from Ian Bannon, who's playing the main character of the film, who's not in the series at all, no. um, and occasionally calls them up in a lab, which is not the same lab off the telly, yeah. um, where where they occasionally sort of look at scientific things and and phone him back. Um, I think I, I think Simon I, yeah Simon Oates gets a, gets like one bit of he a, does. action scene, but it's like if you if you made a 1972 Doctor Who film and set it with a unit operative you've never met before off, yeah. off on a field mission who occasionally phones the doctor for advice. Um, I, I think yeah. I once described it as like is, if you'd done like the first Star Trek movie, but the Enterprise were basically just like a taxi to drop off like Roger Moore in a different space adventure or yeah. something. It's just that kind of like, okay, th- this was not about the thing I thought it was going to be. It's actually a pretty good movie is, if people yeah, haven't yeah. seen it. It's, it's, it's really very enjoyable. But if you go into it expecting an, an extended episode of the TV series, then don't, you, you mm. don't, it's a dog. But yes, it's a, it's mm. it's worth a, I'd like that. To, I'd, like, I'd like, to, like that to see that at a decent release. Yeah, Ian Bannon yeah. and... Um, Judy Geisel, isn't it? It is, yeah. indeed. Yeah. Looking, at, yeah, yeah. looking at weird, looking at weirdly inbred people in Cornwall, mutagenic. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, but that's nothing. That's I, I, nothing to do with um, with the corruption of Chris Miller. He is in a pretty good episode of uh, Space Nineteen Ninety Nine, one of the first season episodes. Because this is the thing, I, I was quite surprised because I was like, well, you know, Barry Stokes, British character actor, which Doctor Who was he in? Of course, he no, wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't in a Doctor Who. Yeah, I did. I did what, what, before we move off uh, Barry Stokes, as it were, um, 
<laughs> I, I do want to mention his Space 1999 episode. Oh, okay, right. he, he, he does star, uh, he, he co-stars in that one with, uh, the other guest star in that one is Jeremy Kemp, um, who, who's sci-fi bona fides, another very recognisable British character actor, um, whose sci-fi bona fides are set because he played Captain Picard's brother in an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Ah. And he was, also in a, he was also in a telly version of St. Joan, which kind of brings us back a little bit to Jean Seberg because that was obviously her... her not her, not necessarily her breakthrough film because it wasn't a, a box office success, but the film where she was sort of discovered by Otto Preminger. So, uh, so it's ah. all it's all circularity. Ah, okay, okay. Then, okay. My final thing I'll say on Barry Stokes as well is um, he plays Jeremy in a, a very, very good uh, and very obscure um, children's TV series called uh, The Intruder, which is the is the uh, difficult second work by the makers of The Owl Service. Oh, that just came out, it just on, came out um, on Blu-ray from Network. Network, yes, didn't it? Yes, yeah, it yeah, did, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's not a main. He plays that. He plays the. He plays sort of the twatty boyfriend of the of the main of the of the the, the young female lead, as it were. Oh, I didn't realise that was the L service, folks. Yeah, yeah, it's the same. Yeah, it's um, oh. it's it's and it's well worth a watch. I really like. Um, it's a slightly more straightforward, uh, hmm. as in you can vaguely work out what the fuck's going on um, <laughs> in 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 the, in the intruder. Um, but um, it's really worth it for um, it's a it's a children's series. So like the mm. Owl Service, it's children or you know very young adult led. Um, but Milton Johns as the as the as the intruder as the eponymous intruder is is extremely good and genuinely quite sinister. He, he's perfect as a as that slightly weird um, malevolent presence. But you're not really sure uh, what he's what he's there or what he's. Um, uh, his reasons for being for, for being for being there are, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, partly adapted by uh, Mervyn Hazeman, who created ah. who created amongst other things, the created the Brigadier and the Yeti in in, in Doctor Who. Yes. Also, one last thing on Barry Stokes. So it's good because because welcome to the Barry Stokes cast. I, was just genuine, um, I know lots about the sort of things Barry yeah. Stokes was in. Well, more this than is I the do thing. Same Spanish film. Same. Um, oh, I have seen. Cause, cause, because you, you you mentioned earlier that uh, one of his roles was first victim. That's in the Hammer House of Horror episode, yes, the yes, Carpathian Eagle. It is, yes. Is that? Um, and, and it's I, I feel it's I think it's worth mentioning, you know, because it's like oh, it's a, it's a bit of a nothing role, you know, first victim. But then last victim in the same episode was a young Pierce Brosnan. So, wow, c- come that's, on, that's very impressive. That's yeah, that's not bad. So well, yeah. rarefied air uh, in, in that company. Oh, that's a good, that's a good, I do love um, uh, Hammer House of Horror. I mean, so mm. much of it is crap, but it's such enjoyable crap. It really, really, <laughs> really is. Even the, and the, the house that drip, the house that drip blood is, mm. uh, sorry, the house that bled to death. Sorry, not the, yes, yes, it not, not the, not the Amicus film. Mm. Um, right, but we should probably get back on, on turn. Oh yeah, we were talking about uh, corruption of Chris Miller, weren't we? Yeah, uh, um, there's not a... I mean, it's quite a small cast. They're, they're, like, other than the fact, mm. other than the fact, we you know, there's the three leads. There's there's the woman uh, in the first who's killed in the first in the sort of the pre-title sequence. Mm. Uh, there's um, there's the farming family we see in a couple of scenes, and that's sort of mm. that's that's so that's and the there's the guy who turns out to be apparently apparently the killer. Um, mm. But it's quite a contained piece, and it's 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 centered mm. basically on um, the the 
the relationship between the between the three leads, which again isn't the sort of thing that I expected when coming into coming into something that's generally about style over substance and and about mm. and about lurid and about lurid details. But it but it it works absolutely on that on 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 that level. Just I mean, there's a couple of good stabby bits, uh, but there's nothing. Deeply problematic in compared to what they deserve as well. Uh, there's a prepubescent child is killed, uh, which mm. might not exactly float, 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 float your boat, and probably deserving of a deserving of a trigger warning. But it's a mm. psychological horror with far much more focus on the psychological stuff as as than might be, and it's a uh, quite refreshing for that. Mm. Yes, I mean, I, I did kind of mention to you, I think. Uh, as you were watching the, the the sequence in which uh is it lewis the the actual who turns out to be the actual killer is disposing of the family which feels like a much more straightforward bit of jallo really you know you've got the kind of killer and the slicker with the hidden face and the esoteric stabby weapon yeah and and that that sequence is is much more kind of graphic and and gory than the rest of the film which for the most part isn't particularly bloody the couple of bits at the beginning and the end um and it's it is a bit like you know the sort of monty python's meaning of life and the unprecedented attack by the second feature um but it's also quite shocking in that regard because you're not really expecting sort of oh okay so now and, and then it literally is you know sort of a ten minute Jello film yeah inserted it, it, into that's this true this other sort of Jello film there is yes you're right there's like yeah there's a cold opening that could be you know another you know a short a, a Jello short all the yeah at least he doesn't kill the dog that poor dog no. No, um, but um, yeah, no, I, 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 I really like this one. I think the, I think the final, the sort of twist on the twist with the, with the peas, I think is a delight. Yes. The first time I saw it, I just absolutely loved. And, um, and again, I think because the way it's handled is the, the workmen turn up, they dig up the road. You then see them flagging down some motorcycle policemen who then kind of speed off, you know, uh, presumably to to report and arrest and various things um but and then you all as you say it's kind of intercut with with chris and ruth who now seem to have come to some sort of you know detente uh over the fact that they've you know killed someone you know well not by accident but but killed the wrong person and they're they're kind of complicit in in their silence um but basically they're, they're having a conversation, but we don't know what it is because it's, you've got this kind of very driving 70s score over the top and you can't hear what they're saying. So um, while the policemen with the silly hats kind of uh, come to arrest them. But it, but it just kind of ends on that note. And I think I think it's terrific. I think it's really, really, really quite quite gripping. And, and you know, sort of for a film that I'd never heard of, I was really pleasantly surprised when I when I saw it for the first time. The the house where Chris and Ruth live, though, is is that Spain? It, as far as I know, it is because I don't think they shot any of it outside of Spain. No, I could be completely wrong. Yeah, I don't see um, any reason they, why they why they would, but it doesn't bloody look very Spanish, they, does it? They they shot that bit in like Bournemouth, but yeah. um, <laughs> or Elstree. Yes. Um, but yeah, there don't appear to have been any kind of production credits outside of outside of Spanish producers, which is normally the tell for if it's right, yeah, been, sure. been 
been shot in different places um obviously as you said they have got that international cast um uh, baffling international yes. cast um and also the inside of the house doesn't look much like the outside of the no, house. No, it doesn't. No, it really, uh... <laughs> really doesn't. No, it doesn't. It's, it's not quite um, the original uh, um, house on Haunted Hill where the outside is uh, is this, you know, beautiful Art Deco painted, uh, you know, sort of Frank Lloyd Wright-esque house and the inside's just like the, the same soundstage they use for every gothic horror movie. But uh... you, don't, you don't think possibly they're going for a slight, they're preempting Kubrick's Shining. Uh, by trying to dis like um, dis, 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 um, dis, disorientate you as to the the internal logic of the of the Overlook Hotel, you don't think that's what what Bardem's doing here? I mean, maybe it's very <laughs> subtle if he if he is. Okay, I, here I, is Barry. I, I don't think they are. I just I'll try it as well. But <laughs> no, yes, no, I don't either. This, but it just looks really, really English from the outside. It looks like a large mm. English mansion, uh, and it's very very verdant. Yes, it does have the pool at the back, which. Oh, that's probably, uh, but man, that, I mean, I suppose that's, that's not a, an outlier, but but yeah, you go around Cookham in Surrey, and the, the, <laughs> you know, there's, there'll be a few pools in the yeah. in, in the in, in the garden that get used twice a year. Yeah, exactly. So what's next? Well, um, we're, we're coming to the end of of this phase of the journey. Good so... God. <laughs> it, st- it started with the um, the uh, the uh, not the asylum one. Oh, uh, yes, murder clinic. Murder clinic, that's right, yes. Yeah. Talking of yeah. houses that don't look like they're in the country that they should be in. Uh, <laughs> yes, it's been it's been quite a journey. I've seen one of the worst I was meant to see in, in, in a mock, uh, but I've been pleasantly surprised uh, with some of the others. Uh, so, Excellent. Yeah, yes. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the sort of slightly ham-fisted uh, theme, I guess, of... of this grouping, which we will laughingly refer to as season two, was sort of around influences and and what what does constitute a jello so to wrap us out and i have i have dropped about three things because i'd slightly overfaced us with the sheer volume of films <laughs> that we were going to try and do and i think i think at this point we're both feeling like a a, a um a pertinent pause would probably be nice to uh, to to refresh and and uh, and rethink uh so we're going to jump ahead to 1980 and we are going to do dress to kill which is the film that, for my money, is the most Giallo-esque American Hollywood film ever made, made by a guy who insists quite angrily that he's never seen a Giallo. So that is next time. So, ah, I see. So rather like um, when Ari Aster made Midsummer and then said he hadn't seen a folk horror film, you think this is... Yeah. Yeah. Um, De Palma doth protest too much, as far it's as it's Brian concerned. De Palma. It is Brian De Palma, Whoa. the the Jalloiest the American filmmaker who doesn't like Jallo. So Brian De Palma so, ne- had never seen a Jallo film. Well, I don't want to spoil it because we'll talk about it next week. Um, but he might have seen one, but he didn't like it. <laughs> he didn't inhale it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good stuff. All right. Until and, until next time. And um, oh, uh, will this be out? This won't be out before Christmas, will it? Because Christmas is on Friday. So it w- it will be around sometime around the festive season. Oh, well, so no, well, we wish you luck. Ho- hopefully, pe- hopefully, listeners had a, a a pleasant Christmas, and possibly this will reach them in time to wish them a happy new year. Depends on if I can be bothered to edit it <laughs> over the holidays. What a Christmas message! Um, I know. Felicitations of the season to you all. Thank you.
Thank you for listening. Next time, did Brian De Palma really only see one Jallo? On the strength of 1980s Dress to Kill, I've got my doubts. If you celebrate, I hope you're having a wonderful festive season and we hope you'll join us next time. Goodbye. Fortunately, I think we got a good like 25 minutes out of Barry Stokes, so I think we're right. <laughs> Sitting by comfort zone.